Thank you, choir. Beautiful song. Grateful to have them back and to hear them sing. Have I forgotten anything this morning? Have you forgotten anything this morning? <laughs> How's your memory? What do you remember? You know, I can I, I hate to admit this, but sometimes I can remember things that happened 37 years ago better than I can remember what happened 37 hours ago. I don't know if that's sickness or anything, or that I need to be worried or taking medicine, but... <laughs> I think there's a difference, though, as to why. I mean, some things are memorable because they are tragic. Some things are memorable because they are terrific. Some things are sorrowful. Some things are joyful. We have memories. I remember... I can tell with detail what took place when my father died. I remember those events uh, that morning after a sleepless night. I remember. I remember joyfully 37 years ago, a little over 37 years ago, when I married Amy. And she got the best thing she ever got. <laughs> or maybe I should say the only thing she ever got. <laughs> but the difference in why I can remember that, and I don't remember what happened last week is significance. The poet Robert Louis Stevenson said, I have a grand memory for forgetting. I love the story of the uh, journalist that was interviewing a hundred-year-old man on his 100th birthday, and a bunch of questions were asked, but the journalist finally asked him, he said, do you remember your first romantic kiss? The octogenarian looked at him and smiled and said, I don't remember my last kiss. <laughs> Memories. Remembering. It seems the author of Hebrews is talking about remembering. This 13th chapter that we're looking at over four episodes, we might say, seems to be a little bit disjointed. But it's his closing words to these Hebrew Christians who are being taunted, if you will, by Judaizers, by those that taught you needed to go back to the old way of Judaism. Or if you, you can be a Christian but mix it in with the Jewish way of life. And so the author of Hebrews, whomever it is, God knows. But he says, remember. So this morning, I hope for maybe 30 minutes, we can keep our memory, and maybe it'll be memorable as we look at these verses. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 to 14. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not 
profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Would you pray with me, Father? How we ask that you would, by the work of your Holy Spirit, make this passage memorable to us, that we might heed the advice, the spirit-guided advice of the author of Hebrews, of this scripture that to remember. Father, in doing so, we might become more pleasing and faithful followers of our Savior. Lord, if one here today listening has never been born again, how we pray that they would look to Jesus, how they would see Him and trust Him who died as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect atonement, the perfect price for our sin. Thank You that He lives today as our High Priest. Father, today we can trust in Him for eternal salvation. I pray that would happen today. I pray that believers would be strengthened. May you be pleased in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've said it's important to remember. And so the author of Hebrews, whomever it may be, God only knows, tells us to remember. And so I see five areas that we are to remember. Number one, in verse 7, he says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And so I would say it this way, remember those who lead you. Remember those who lead you. Remember here may suggest that the leaders that the author is speaking about here are dead. Could it be that he's making reference to those great leaders of the faith that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith hall of fame? And here the writer is saying, remember those who lead you. Maybe he's talking about some unnamed martyrs. For he says in verse 7, considering the outcome of their conduct, seems to be that these were leaders, faith leaders, who gave themselves, they gave their life for the gospel. For the Lord Jesus Christ, they gave their life completely, totally. Remember them. Leaders or rulers, as it's suggested in this verse here, many a pastor has spoken on this in an effort to browbeat followers in congregations to listen. Well, that's verse 17. We won't misapply that here. We'll wait till we get to verse 17. Verse 7 When he's talking about leaders or those who rule over you, he's talking about those who lead you. Those who, it could be a pastor, it could be a teacher. I think the application here is it's anybody that could be a mentor to you in the faith. 
I'm not talking about somebody who can teach you to be a good welder or somebody that can teach you to be a, a good teacher in the public school, but rather those who faith in the Lord Jesus Christ you ought to follow. Imitate their faith. And it goes on to say that they have spoken the word of God to you. May I ask you, have you appreciated those who teach the Word of God to you, Sunday school teachers? Do you appreciate those who teach your grandchildren, those who teach your children? Express your appreciation to them. Remember those who lead you, who speak the Word of God to you. God's Word is the only source of sound teaching. We may have somebody that can teach them how to hit a golf ball or somebody can teach them how to make a form tackle in football and we applaud them and say what a great leader they are. Or somebody that can help them with their algebra or, or their calculus or, or, or those matters. And we certainly believe it's okay to, uh, to excel in those matters. But we're here to admonish in the faith. And he said, those who've spoken the word of God to you, remember them considering the outcome of their faith. The word considering here means to look at time and time again. How important it is. We have those that teach, that speak the word of God, be it pastor, be it teacher in a classroom. Remember those that lead you. We live in a day where the systematic teaching of God's Word is not considered. People want how-to messages and want feel-good things, and, and that'll draw a crowd. But folks, if it's not the Word of God, rightly divided, line upon line, precept upon precept, my friend, it'll not accomplish anything eternal. And so we evaluate all teaching by this criteria. Does it explain the meaning of the text in its context, and does it apply it to my life? Remember those who lead you, verse 7. Let me make one other application that I think is good from this passage. If he is referring back to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, that faith hall of fame, he's talking about some faithful followers that had given their life, that had, that, that had served the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, remember them, consider them. I think it's a good application of this verse to tell you, to suggest to you that you ought to be reading the lives of godly men and women. Some of you are avid readers, but you're reading junk. You're reading trash. Some are hooked on some of the romance novels. and, and to, I don't know if anybody here is, but I know in life it, they're hooked on them because they sell millions. It's time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to get hooked on reading of godly lives of people. Study Spurgeon. Read about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. There are three biographies of his life, and he wrote one autobiography. Have you read of a faithful servant of a couple of centuries ago? I suggest you read that. You want a little book, a suggestion? Fox's Book of Martyrs, written in the 1500s by a man named John Fox. It's in a little paperback. You probably could buy it 99 cents somewhere. Certainly Kendall would have it. And it gives a, a, a story of the lives of, of many martyrs. We know much about the apostles by this man's research in the 1500s. 
Remember those who lead you. They may be dead and long gone. It's time that we stand on their shoulders. And so remember them, considering the outcome of their conduct. And so while we remember, and it seems that the Hebrews author is telling us to remember those who lead us. Secondly, in verse 8 and following, he says, Remember Jesus Christ who saved you. Remember Jesus who saved you. For he goes on in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This may seem disjointed for that verse to be right after verse 7. But if he is making reference in verse 7 to those that died for the faith or the Hebrews uh, Faith Hall of Fame chapter 11, he may be contrasting and saying, while these leaders are dead and gone, Jesus Christ remains unchanged today and forever. Remember Christ. It's well and good to remember past leaders. But my friend, our focus is upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the centrality of Christ and His sacrificial death. It's not out of context it's certainly something that we should see in an ever-changing world. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not diminishing the value of teachers, and sound teachers. He's pointing out and propping it up even more so by saying these are teachers that preach, that teach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In my lifetime, there have been leaders, godly leaders among the Baptist faith that have stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ unadulterated that we've seen die. Dr. W.A. Criswell was a great Baptist and a great faithful servant of the Word of God, preaching the Word of God. Passed away several years ago in First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas. He had already stepped aside, but he passed away. God used other men that have come along now to lead. Dr. Adrian Rogers, what a preacher. I wished I had a voice like his. I wished I had a command of the English language like he did. And yet God raises up others. While godly leaders may die, the Lord Jesus Christ remains the same forever. And let's go on, verse 10. We're still considering Christ who saved us. Look how he describes him. We'll come back to verse 9, but verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Here the author is, is apparently repeating the truth that's been emphasized over and over in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is superior to the ways of Judaism. The altar was a piece of furniture within the tabernacle that had made its way into the temple and it had a time and a purpose. But every altar of the Old Testament pointed to one matter. Every altar rightly used in the Old Testament pointed to one, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are wonderful words in verse 10. We have an altar. I can imagine that these Judaizers were saying, where's your furniture? Where's your altar? Where's your, your place to offer sacrifice? And the, the, the writer says so plainly, we have an altar that's greater than what you have 
in the temple, those who served in the tabernacle, those who served in the temple, they have no right to eat. Why? Of the altar that we have. Why did they have no right? Because they didn't know Christ. They only understood the rituals of religion, offering a burnt sacrifice, bloodshed of a goat, bloodshed of a bull, cannot save. The writer of Hebrews says that over and over again. And he says here, we have an altar. Praise God, we have an altar in the Lord Jesus Christ, not some system. Swindoll writes and says, here the writer takes one last swipe against the obsolete practices of Judaism. This time, the contrast is more practical. Those who find Christ superior for pressing on and those who opt for the return to an empty religion. That's what Judaism was. It served a purpose, Old Testament pointing to Christ, but it's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an altar. Maybe they were taunting them and saying, you don't have an altar. (laughs) Maybe they were taunting them in such a way. The writer of Hebrews, Spirit Inspired, says, we have an altar. and You people cannot. You have no right to eat. The point is that Jesus Christ and His death on the cross of Calvary is our altar. Once and for all. It's the Christian's confident answer. Our altar is Christ. Now let me kind of make some application for 2021, for today. We have an altar and it's Lord Jesus Christ. It's not down front in a church building. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a piece of furniture. In a previous church, I've taught on this. I didn't know this until after I'd gone there, and really after about a year or so as pastor, they trotted out a little bench. Someone in the church in the history past that had gone on to be of the Lord, a little bench that that person had made. And it had been in their old facilities, and they had new glorious facilities now, and they trotted that bench out and put it down front. That was their altar. Well, the first chance when we had some program and we had to remove furniture and such I found a way to put that thing somewhere where it couldn't be used. Now I've been teaching on this and I'm not a hero of this story but the hero was a deacon that had listened. One of the people in the church, one of the longtime members that loved to go and kneel at that bench asked that deacon, said, where's our altar? The deacon smiled and said, at Calvary. He got it. I don't know if he kept that belief and stayed there. I don't know what they're doing today, but my friend, our altar is not a piece of furniture. There's nothing wrong with praying down front. There's nothing wrong with with walking forward to profess faith in Christ. But listen to me. Don't replace Christ with a piece of furniture. Don't replace Christ with a religious relic, be it a bead of called the rosary or something, and I'm not condemning or uh, I'll let the Scripture speak where the Scripture speaks on that. We have an altar. And anything that confuses this matter, anything that takes away from the Lord Jesus Christ, the writer is saying, remember Christ who saved you. 
You think, well, how could a person that's saved forget Christ? We do it every day, don't we? We live for self. We live for comfort. We live for what's convenient over Christ, don't we? So remember, remember those that lead you, verse 7. Remember those, uh, remember Christ who saved you, verse 8 and verses 10, 11, and 12. Then thirdly, remember grace that established you. Verse 9, I want to back up to that. There was some false teaching, strange doctrines going on there. It was all in the name of Judaism, but the author says, Don't be carried away by various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. New doctrines, strange doctrines, conflict with the unchanging message. Those that do, that conflict with the unchanging message of Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, need to be rejected. Rejected. The writer says, remember grace that established you. The Judaizers taught that you were established, you had a foundation if you kept these rituals, if you did these things, if you ate certain foods. Verse 9 is saying, the foods, the foods that have not profited those who've been occupied with them. They were legalists that were saying you have to add something. It's okay to have Jesus, but add a little something to it. A lot of Baptists doing that today, aren't they? Add a little something to it. Legalists. The truth is that holiness is produced by grace, not law. Holiness. I can never be perfectly holy. I can never live holy enough. It's only by unmerited favor. It's only by grace that I'm made holy in His sight. Some of these Hebrew Christians were being taunted to keep strict dietary laws. And they were being told that if you want to be a genuine Christian, then do this. It's grace, my friend, not legalism, that causes a person to grow up. Spiritually, Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.18, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow. Another author says, It is grace which strengthens the believer's heart, not subscription to rules and the avoidance of prohibited foods. There's no room now for material sacrifices animal offerings, sacred meals, and hallowed altars. All that is over and gone. Only God's grace can inspire and empower you to live a holy life. Paul told Titus, live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. It is only by love for the Savior who died on account of our sins in our place It motivates us to live for Him. Wearsby says the purpose of spiritual ministry is to establish God's people in grace. Not the keeping of laws, not doing a certain list, but by grace. And in doing that, we'll not be blown around by dangerous doctrines. 
That's the writer's words, verse 9. So remember those who lead you. Remember Christ who saved you. Remember grace that establishes you. And fourthly, remember allegiance that defines you. Remember allegiance, faithfulness, devotion that defines you. Verse 13, therefore let us go forth to Him. You may have disagreed with me on some things I've said this morning, but can we agree on this? We need to go forth to Him. Baptists will gather today, uh, this week in Nashville to hash out some issues that have happened over the years, the last few years, and not getting to have a convention or a gathering last year and such. And they'll hash out some things. But in the end, can we say this? Let us go forth to Him. Not to some system of belief. Not to some analytical tool. Let us go forth to Him. Not to one sect of society, but let's go forth to Him. This is the theme that is repeatedly trumpeted throughout the New Testament. We are to identify with Jesus Christ in a public way. We're to follow Him. How easy it would have been for these first century Christians, Hebrew Christians to flee from the scorn of these Judaizers. The Spirit-inspired author to these Hebrew Christians says, let's go forth to Him outside the camp. That's where Jesus suffered, outside the gate. Let's go forth with Him in suffering, bearing His reproach. Oh, that we would go forth. In essence, the writer is saying you must leave Judaism if you are to follow Jesus Christ. And I would say that authoritatively on the Word of God. We follow Jesus Christ. We don't follow the teachings of Calvin. We don't follow the teachings of Wearsby. We don't follow the teachings of a man. We follow Christ. Let's go forth to Him. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading and studying and knowing what others stood for and where they stand. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, that we might see Christ Jesus and Him crucified, buried, and resurrected. To the Gentiles, that's foolish. The heathen, that's foolish. To the, to the Greeks, that was, that was not wisdom. Jesus Christ is worthy of us to follow, to give our allegiance. A lot of people today are are not offended if you take the cross out of Christianity. He's a good teacher. We ought to follow the teachings of Christ. Yes, the Beatitudes, we ought to live by those. And people are okay with that. Maybe that's where you stand. You're just all about the teachings of Jesus. I want to tell you something. Were it not for the cross, you'll suffer eternally in a devil's hell. Jesus Christ, whom we are to go forth to. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, and that's by grace through faith in Christ alone. The cross confronts and offends human pride. We're hearing a lot about pride this month. Pride and sin is what we're hearing a lot about. Be prideful. Well, the cross confronts human pride. The cross tells me my sin placed a perfect sinless one on the cross in my stead, in my place. 
Are you going forth to Him? Do you have allegiance to Him? And can I add something? Are you tired of hearing this? I hope not. But if you're faithful to Christ, you'll be faithful to Christ's bride. What is the bride of Christ? It's the church. How is the church today? So, well, I believe in the universal church. No, you don't. You believe in an excuse to keep you from coming to the local church. Are you faithful to the bride of Christ? That's what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Because of what we believe about Christ, we can't live like the world. A young missionary was being interviewed and, and, and questioned about his service to be, or what was going to be uh, his service in his lifetime. And, and one arrogant little uh, interviewer asked him, says, do you really believe that everyone who's not heard of Christ is lost? The missionary-to-be smiled and said, yes, I believe that. Do you believe, that young interviewer asked with a smirk, do you believe he's really the only way to eternal life? And the missionary-to-be said, yes, I believe that. And the interviewer then said these words, all I have to say is that if you believe like that, you can't live like the rest of us do. My friend, if you believe that Jesus Christ is our altar, that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life, if you believe that, then there should be an allegiance to Him and that which He loves that defines you. Lastly, we should remember not only those who lead us, Christ who saves us, grace that establishes us, an allegiance or devotion that defines us. In verse 14, the writer says, Remember heaven that awaits us. So he says in verse 14, For we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. We have no continuing city. The Jews, the Judaizers, took great pride in Jerusalem. It was the center of their world. Now we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem today. It's a strategic point in end time events. And certainly it's the city by which we have our Savior. We rejoice in that and such. But it's not our home, is it? There'll be a new Jerusalem. But the writer here is saying, we have no continuing city. He's talking to believers. Let me stress that. He's talking to believers. We don't have a continuing city, but we have one that is to come, referring to heaven or the new Jerusalem, an eternal city. Listen, not everyone is going to heaven. I know that's not commonly preached, is it? I've never done a funeral and I haven't attended one. Maybe we should be a little more honest. But I've never seen a preacher at a funeral and say, well, he died, and by his own testimony, he's going to hell for eternity. That's probably not coof, is it? <laughs> People don't, don't think we ought to do that. There are other ways to preach the gospel at a time like that. We live like we think everyone's going to heaven. Heaven doesn't await everybody. It's for only those whose faith 
is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are believers. And he says to believers here, we have no continuing city. Jerusalem to the Jews. Mecca to the Muslims. Salt Lake to the Mormons. They have their cities in this life. That's all they'll get. My friend, we have an eternal home. And we need to remember, we do have a city. Heaven is ours. We should never forget that we're longing for an unchanging reality, which is that city that is to come, our eternal heavenly city. Our homeland is in heaven where Christ dwells. The Jewish Corey Tin Boom that trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ suffered tremendously, she and her family, in the Holocaust. Corey Tin Boom wrote later and said, Hold lightly the things of this life or this world, so that if God requires them of you, it will be easy to let them go. May I ask this morning, are many of us holding too tightly to the things of this world? This is a great country, but I've got to tell you something. We've got a heavenly city. My citizenship is not here. My eternal citizenship is in heaven, our homeland. And so we are to remember heaven that awaits believers. There's a lot for Christians to remember, isn't there? The Bible talks about something that unbelievers are to remember as well. Remember in Luke chapter 16... The story of the rich man and Lazarus. They both died. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. That's a way of saying he went to heaven, the holding place of redeemed saints. But the rich man woke up and found himself in torments. And the scripture says that he he wanted Abraham to just touch the tip of his tongue with a cool drop of water. Father Abraham, he was a son, he was Jewish. Father Abraham said to him in Luke 16, verse 25, Son, remember. The agony of hell is going to be complicated by a memory, I'm convinced. A memory of times when a gospel preacher preached that Jesus Christ died in your place, was buried and raised the third day, and you rejected it. You walked away and said, I have plenty of time. Hell will be hell. If you die without Christ, you'll remember That time you could have been, you were almost this close and you turned away. The agony of hell is going to be more agony, more suffering, more torments because of memory. Memory of those that you've led astray, of children, because you didn't want to trust Christ. It wasn't the manly thing to do. The memory of a life filled with debauchery and and two-timedness. But you got to live your way. Hell's going to be hell because you'll remember how you led others astray. But to the believer, he says, remember those that lead you, Christ who saved you, grace that establishes you, allegiance that defines you, and the glorious heaven that awaits you. Are you God's child? Have you been born again? Can you say, I know He's my altar? He's my Savior. I'm trusting in Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your Scripture, for your Word. May you do your eternal work in drawing the lost to salvation. 
and in strengthening believers. Thank you that Jesus died, was buried, and rose the third day. May he be exalted and glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing invitation. Have you been to Calvary?